top chat about the Alliance of Pro-Life Students. Hello, Emily. Thank you very much for giving of your time. I should own up right at the beginning of this that maybe you could say I have an interest in this because me and Emily have been housemates for the last two years, but Emily's leaving on Saturday and I'm off to Portugal to visit Fatima tomorrow, so this is our last chance, so we're giving it a go. So, Emily, welcome and thank you. Thank and you. the reason I'm interviewing Emily, or chatting with Emily, I should say, it's not definitely not an interview, is that she is the Student Support Officer for the Alliance of Pro-Life Students, which is a fabulous title and a very courageous thing to have accepted. My first thought when you mentioned about the Alliance of Pro-Life Students is, does that mean there are lots of different organisations underneath that umbrella? And if so, which are they? Well, it's just pro-life students across the UK. So um, when you're at university, university is not really a place that accepts a pro-life viewpoint very much anymore because they're seen as these incredibly liberal, and by liberal they mean like left-wing, very pro-abortion places. And so if you're a pro-life student, you can feel quite isolated. And if you want to go into any kind of student politics, you find yourself alienated very quickly and ostracized. So the idea of the Alliance of Pro-Life Students was to be sort of like an umbrella organization so that any pro-life student society can go to the Alliance of Pro-Life Students for help, can find out what their legal rights are, can get in touch with other students across the country. So it's basically like getting students in contact with one another, making sure they know their rights, making sure they know they're not alone, and making sure that they have the tools and the training that they need to be effective pro-life advocates on campuses today because it's a different type of training to be able to like, witness to your peers in a very hostile environment. So we have lots of different training for like, the basic pro-life arguments and lots of different training for being pro-life in like, a secondary school or something, but being pro-life at university is quite different, so that's why the Alliance of Pro-Life Students was started. Well, my immediate thought is I wish it had been around when I was at university a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was at UEA where you weren't allowed to have a pro-life organisation. Mm, and that happens and more that. and more as well. There are more like pro-choice motions. I actually got involved with the Alliance of Pro-Life Students when I was in my second year at university and I, was, uh, I knew I was pro-life because I'd attended a 40 Days for Life vigil and it made me very much more pro-life than I had been. I wanted to do something and be active. And so I prayed about it for a while and it's kind of dangerous when you pray for something to happen, like, well, I want to show my pro-life convictions more. Because then, like, three days later, I found out that there was a pro-choice motion at my university, and it was um, aggressively pro-choice. It was very much um, that the resolution would be that the university would actively condemn any, quote, anti-choice, unquote, activity on campus. And that was sort of like the antithesis of choice, would be to deny other people a voice. So on a, on a freedom of speech ground, it was actually illegal. But on, even on like a pro-life, pro-choice grounds, all of the, the rhetoric in there was just, was just very narrow-minded and really poorly sourced. And I don't know, it was, it was just sad to read it and to know that it probably had a good chance of going through if someone didn't stop it. So I signed up to stop it. I signed up to campaign against it. And then signed up with who? How do you the sign union? Because you saw the resolutions, and you were allowed to set up a counter campaign if you introduced yourself to the Gosh, union. And that all on your it. own? You just put your name? Yeah, I phoned my mum first. <laughs> Said a few hell marys. Oh, <laughs> my mum told me that it would be the right thing to do, and yeah. it would be hard. Um, so, and I was like, I'm the only pro-life person I know, apart from a couple of Catholics in the Catholic Society, but they were, you know. A lot of Catholic people are pro-life, but they wouldn't want to do anything about it because that's sticking your neck out a little bit too yeah. far. Um, and we all want comfortable lives. 
Um, so this is in, the, in London? Yeah, I'm in my second year at University at King's. Okay. Um, but from that, I found out that someone else had also put their name forward. So I got in contact with one other pro-life person, and he was a medical student. So we had this great sort of like campaign-like thing going on. And then a friend of mine mentioned that there was this new thing called the Alliance of Pro-Life Students, and they had an office in London. So I met a wonderful girl called Eve Farron, who had just started it, and she met me for tea and coffee and like talked to me through all these different things I could do, and she gave me such amazing support that I just sort of like knew that they were a great organization. So from there, I was sort of volunteering a little bit with them. The motion got withdrawn because it was illegal, um, and we... We were very naive and we accidentally sent our whole battle plan to someone who was pro-choice. <laughs> but I think they saw that we were organized and decided to pull back. <laughs> but from that, we started a pro-life society and the union couldn't really say no because there was no pro-choice motion to say we couldn't. And our application was quite airtight because we were quite savvy. So we had a pro-life society that ran into my fourth year at university. And I volunteered a little bit with the Alliance of Pro-Life Students. Then I finished university and I went home and sort of like lost touch a bit got back in touch with them their fundraiser last october i think november and then all of a sudden they had a space opening for a student support officer and sort of bought me so clever them they really are clever <laughs> no i'm very lucky well, no it's, it's <laughs> really interesting because um in those olden days when i was at universities the whole politics at UEA was so sort of narrow visioned and out of sync with my faith that I, I didn't even try going there. I just sort of opted out. But I did law at university and I studied medical law and I did abortion as my thesis topic. Mm. And um, I wanted to know about it and I would have discussions with people. But I, I wasn't active, but I would, have, I would have loved to have had the opportunity. Well, if I'd, I could have made the opportunity, but it just seemed beyond impossible yeah. in that stage to even think of doing it on my own and the life stuff it was all much older generation seemed to be active in it there wasn't mm-hmm. a young face to it all but then in the late 90s there was a um, pro-life alliance set up before mm-hmm. the 97 election and I had just finished a job and wasn't sure what I was doing next and then Cardinal Winning set up a fund in Scotland to support women who felt very much pressurised to have an abortion solely because of financial constraints. Mm. So that was all he was saying. He was saying, this fund is to help women who would like to have their baby but don't feel that they can because of the financial position they're in. And this is to help support them. And they had these two sort of rather dull Radio 4 programmes on that come at 9 o'clock. Well, it can be interesting. Call Nick Ross on the Tuesday and then they had The Moral Maze on the Thursday. And they both focused on this thing that Cardinal Winning had set up. And they absolutely absolutely went for the jugular they, how dare this guy think he can treat women like this he's prostituting them and da, 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 and he thinks he can buy women and I sort of sat up and I mm. thought here's me saying I mind about this but I'm not engaged in anything mm. I cannot just be in the back row with this anymore mm. that was the catalyst that got me involved mm. actively and it's um, so sad because people like him are actually giving women a real choice like I don't know like for me abortion is the antithesis of a choice I don't really think women choose it I think they feel like they have to. It was a really interesting video that I saw when they were showing, they were asking people on the street, oh, do you think abortion should be legal? And people were all sort of like, yeah, it should be a choice. And one girl, she just sort of said, yeah, I mean, it should totally be a choice. I mean, like, if I got pregnant, I'd have to have an abortion. And that was her immediate language. I would have to have an abortion. It wasn't that she would choose to, it's that she would have to have it. And I think it's something 
like there was even a in America there was a poll by the Kutamaka Institute, which is like the research arm of Planned Parenthood, who does most of the abortions in the U.S. That said that 64% of women felt pressurized into an abortion of the people that they surveyed. That's 64% of women who felt coerced in some way by, like a spouse, a partner, a family member into it. There's just there's no real choice in it. If yeah, if you don't know wrongly equate women's freedom with like um, not being pregnant anymore I think that's a false equivalency I think you know women don't choose it lightly either so it stays with women for a long time that's not really being accepted or seen those those voices of women are very unheard so I think that's a shame in our society as well for me, thinking about how things have moved on since the early 90s, mm-hmm. you mentioned the 40 Days for Life. For me, mm-hmm. that was such an encouragement of an initiative, but also seeing like, the, the footage, when you get hold of footage, because it's so hard to come by, like the March for Life that goes mm-hmm. on in Washington, D.C. every year, mm-hmm. and now the March for Life that happens up in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. It's full of young people. It's, it's so the next young. generation have realised that they've been sold short, and a lot of this language is being pushed at them by an older generation that has its own sort of political agenda etc and sort of view of life or rather view of death and they want something better and something much more hopeful even the slogans and everything have moved on and I think if you actually look at the reality of those who are engaged in seeking to change the status quo it's not the stereotypes that keep trying to be pushed out towards you like sort of radical extremists that are going to shoot you, you know, all this sort of stuff that you get Mm. given as soon as you sort of... I mean, yeah, I mean, pro-life people get accused a lot of being sort of like old, white, misogynistic men. But in the Alliance of Pro-Life Students, all of our directors, bar one, we have like seven, are female. We're all young, recent graduates. And so sort of like, I don't know, we joke with the guy that he's our token male on our team because, I don't know, just more and more young women are seeing abortion as more of an exploitation than of a freedom. And I think, as well, there are other groups that are helping to reshape the narrative. So there's an amazing group called New Wave Feminists, and they have this line about abortion isn't empowerment, it's oppression redistributed. So when you sort of like say that you are a victim and therefore you were allowed to oppress someone else, you're not actually being liberated, you're not actually doing anything but causing someone else pain and you don't we shouldn't have the right to do that. So, I don't know, I like the way that they phrase things. They're very good at getting out of the box of the typical arguments, which I think is nice. It's good to have, like, a fresh perspective. So we have all these young women who are really into feminism, not in the way that the old vanguard was, but more in the, I don't know, just, like, actual equal rights. And they don't see abortion as being about rights. They, I don't know, some of them even see it as, like, perpetuating patriarchy, which is always really interesting to discuss, because abortion denies women like the right to be fertile and the right to have a pregnancy. It says you must, in order to succeed in life, you must take the male wombless body as the normative thing and be like that in order to succeed. I think it's a terrible thing, a terrible message to send to people, but it's the one that abortion gives. And in America, two youngsters that have really impressed me, is it Lily Rose? Lila Rose. Lila Rose. Gosh, she's a courageous young woman. She is amazing. And then the other young person who went undercover and did all the footage on the Planned Parenthood. Dave Delayden. Dave Delayden, thank you. And what got up to me was how they went at him with lawsuits and everything else. They're still going at him and he's still... 
Like he's but still they keep having videos. to drop it every now and again. But those early video footage, and you think, okay, now the truth is there for us to see, and we just need to see it. And it's yeah. out there to be seen, and yet we're still yeah. in denial. Though actually, yeah. I think yeah. the denial thing, Britain is much more in denial than America. America at least realizes it's, it's a political issue. It's a, it's a voting issue every single election. It's not yeah. so much in England, which is a shame. I mean, I remember last summer I shared one of those videos. One of my British friends, like flat out said sort of like oh this is a bit of a hard video to be sharing because you know the issue is very sensitive and I'm like how is it sensitive how, how how is it difficult to see that these people are joking about piecing together a baby again and then she said that the video was a lie that it wasn't true that it was falsely cobbled together when like I don't know it's been verified by the FBI to be completely true but the willful blindness the willful I think a lot of it is very 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 yeah. willful not to yeah. see it even to the language they use it's a sensitive issue they avoid at all costs talking okay. about what abortion actually is so it's interesting that as one of the most recent videos I don't know if you've seen it but it's abortion providers in the US sort of like talking and joking about various things that they've seen like or joking about um, just joking about the actual procedure of abortion so joking about the nasty parts like having an eyeball fall out on your lap or crushing a skull or trying to make sure that the head comes out intact all those kinds of things and they talk very very like blasé about it but they even admit at one point that this is not the kind of thing that they would talk to the public about well in fact that was the imagery that the pro-life alliance tried to show for the party election broadcast in 97 Mm. which i didn't enjoy watching it and it was really tough but i thought Mm. this is public taxpayers money being spent on an operation Therefore, it's in the public arena, and this is the reality of what mm-hmm. this is. And you think you're shown graphically everything else that you could ever not want to see on telly anyway. Mm-hmm. But this is an important issue, and they censored the whole thing, and their reason for the censorship was that it might distress women. And what might distress women or cause offence was totally left to the discretion of the BBC. Mm. They didn't have to give any parameters to whether or not you're being overly sensitive to something. Right. Mm-hmm. But the BBC had a complete right to decide on that, even though it was at a general election and the right to the freedom of speech should mm-hmm. be more important at an election than any other time. It wasn't mm-hmm. just a little flippant sort of advert or something. It was to do with the political message at a time and you just thought you're prepared to curb the right to freedom of speech mm. just for some very wishy-washy sense of what might upset women. It happened in France as well. So France had a beautiful advert about Down syndrome children saying, dear mum, you know, my, your life will be difficult, but it will be beautiful. I can do this, I can do that. I'm going to show you so much love. And France censored it because people, women might feel judged for having aborted a child with Down syndrome on watching that positive video. So... I just think the censorship, the whole sort of like women might feel judged is really, I just, I hate it. But I, I think that's so a broader, much. I think that's a broader argument used on everything now. Yeah, it it's is. Tot- if someone um, feels, feels uncomfortable. You're not, but because we've got to such a subjective, if there's no absolute truth, there's no truth outside of us, yeah. it's all to do with what we personally think, mm-hmm. then we can't make any reference to what, it's seen as a very personal insult. You can't, you can't debate mm-hmm. any longer. No, it's really hard to debate. It's really hard to debate. But what I found really interesting was I spent the weekend reading To Kill a Mockingbird and then Go Set a Watchman. And that's all about racism and about how people discuss that and how people have a blindness to um, their own prejudices. 
and everything, and just seeing the whole discussions and being able to sort of see it in my mind, sort of like Scout's point of view, and how she sees the world, and how she sees just people, and she sees it very, very clearly, what is, what is right, what is wrong, there aren't like extenuating circumstances just because of the colour of somebody's skin, but it's very, very similar to the pro-life argument that no one can be killed more readily just because of where they are, or what their age is, or anything like that. I think like that kind of dialogue about race is now being transferred into the pro-life, pro-choice dialogue. It's something we need to have more of, and it's something I would like to see more of. And hopefully more of it will happen, especially on university campuses, as like the whole conversation about freedom of speech becomes more and more prevalent as well, because there's a danger that we won't have the conversation because people don't want to hear it. But I think it's important to have it, definitely. Even just having the conversation, especially in England. They're having it in America so much, but in England we still fear to talk about it. Yeah, it's still sort of... No, it's not public. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even sometimes I can be afraid of being like, people will say, oh, like, where do you work? And it's like, oh, I work for a student organization. <laughs> so, depending on how much I want mm. to put myself out there, because I know that it's like something that is just yeah. not, it's just not understood. But then I find that when I do say things, like say it and everything, people get like the most wonderful responses. My mum does quilting and she runs quilting retreats and stuff. And lots of these women who do quilting are really artsy, but they're often also quite liberal and stuff. And so you, you never really know where they're coming from. But often the times they have a really deep faith. But sometimes you just never know because it takes all sorts. But um, my mum was sharing with one of the ladies on one of the retreats. They were asking about me because they all knew me because I'd been on a different retreat with them. And they were saying, oh, how's Emily? My mum was telling them that I worked for a pro-life organisation. I worked for a student organisation helping students with their rights. And one of the ladies, she said something beautiful. She said, um, well, good for her. She said, you know, I never believed them when they told me it was just a bunch of cells. You know, and I never thought it was right that we could tell people that that was the case. And it was so surprising because you never think, because she was, you know, just like a normal person. But it just, I think, the average person, the normal person, has a pro-life default. Yeah. You know, we, we, just, we just don't have this distance between mother and child we see them as both worthy of protection we don't see a difference we don't see like a a battle of wills between them we don't see as one being the evil and one being the good and one being the victim and one being the aggressor we don't see that when we're in our normal everyday lives and that just comes out really beautifully in what people say so it's just when you when you i don't know when you get into like the pro-life pro-choice thing and people suddenly realize they have to take a stance they take whatever's popular which i think is sad but it was just that was a really encouraging moment for me that my mum told me about. So, Well, I can't think of a better, more lovely way to end this little chat. And so I'll end with thank you so much, Emily, for thank your you. courage and speaking out for those who can't speak for themselves and for giving encouragement to others who are wanting to give witness to the beauty and the truth of life. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, hang on. Is there a website anyone could go to if they're wanting to know more? Yes, the Alliance of Pro-Life... Well, uh, students.org.uk. All right. And we'll put a link for that on Totus Tours as well. Many thanks. Totus Tours. For the most tip-top, top chat. 